Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here, happy to have you. And today, we're talking leadership. Yes, how to be a better leader. You know, we've covered this topic before, and there's plenty of people in the space. But one thing I will say is every time we talk to someone about leadership, I pick up some new, interesting things that I can apply to my life whether it be in relationship building, networking, creating something new, working with teams, just useful information. I think the reason leadership is so important is it's true that we are all leaders in some capacity. But the real question we struggle with is how will we choose to express that leadership? Where's it going to come out? And will we proactively act like a leader so that when the moment comes, We take a stand for the things we believe in. We have the ability to rally a team to get things done. So that's why we like to check in on the pulse of leadership fairly often. This week we are doing so with Erica Peetler. Erica is a leadership performance coach and author of the book Leadership Rigor, Breakthrough Performance and Productivity, Leading Yourself, Teams, and Organizations. Erica was a corporate healthcare executive. She's got over 20 years of leadership experience running large operational divisions, brands, portfolios, and global R&D organizations. Not much more of an introduction needed because you want to know how to lead, and we're going to let you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Check us out at smartpeoplepodcast.com. You can read 
our favorite quotes, and what we liked about the episode. You can also contact us through that. And as always, we appreciate it if you guys leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Thank you so much to Lamey Frog for that review, Arvidis87, and Josh Penn. Thanks so much for taking the time for that. Hope you enjoy this episode with Erica Peetler. Erica, thank you so much for being on the show. I can't wait to talk to you. You are a phenomenal coach and and leader, something that I aspire to be. So it's it's just so great to have you on. Oh, thanks, Chris. It's great to be here. So I know that you have your book, Leadership Rigor, Breakthrough Performance and Productivity. Uh, I know you're doing a lot of things right now with your leadership training. First, I want to talk a little bit about your background. You know, have you always wanted to get into this role of working with executives and and working on leadership? How did that come about? Yeah, great question. So I'm a pharmacist by background. I went to pharmacy school, really interested in healthcare, in medicine, and uh, graduated from pharmacy school and actually went directly into the corporate world. I had done a summer internship in sales and marketing loved the communication aspect, the labeling of drugs, how to help explain the concepts of how drugs work to consumers and to uh, to pharmacists. So that was an area that really resonated for me. And I went into the corporate world and immediately had success. It just felt like a comfortable place for me. Business came pretty naturally, even though I wasn't a graduate of an MBA program or traditional um, business school. I gravitated to it very, very quickly and progressed through a variety of roles and a variety of companies, uh, doing deep experiences and, uh, and, and roles in marketing, and then uh, took on a general management role where I was asked to turn around a $100 million consumer care organization, and I became a, uh, a general manager for a $400 million pharmaceutical healthcare organization. So I was one of these young high potentials that rotated pretty quickly around a variety of corporate roles, ultimately getting to the, uh, the senior most levels of an organization and, and a senior leadership team. It's really interesting because it seemed like you just found what you want to do or found something that resonated and took off running. And I don't, I mean... We don't hear that too often. I think that people tend to jump around and suddenly something strikes them. So it's it's really cool that you found that up front. And what I was wondering is, was there anything that guided you in that direction? You know, what did you look at as you said, okay, here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to be. And as you made that decision to go into kind of the pharma uh, medical world. Yeah, you know, I wanted to be a doctor when I was a kid, right? You know, I wanted to go to medical school, and when I went to college, I had a really difficult transition in my freshman year, so I didn't have the uh, off-the-chart grades. And I actually found pharmacy by accident, and I really loved it because it kind of blended the science as well as the, uh, the communication and interaction with people for me. So when I went into that healthcare environment, what I kind of found was I loved the communication aspect, and I loved the ability to be creative and help people understand concepts, break concepts down. So here I am, this scientific person working in a healthcare organization where not everybody had that technical knowledge. So I started to really realize, wow, you know, my sweet spot is helping people understand and communicating clearly with each other. And when you have a skill set like that, I, I do have to agree, it's a little bit easier to move pretty quickly around an organization. But 
I think the differentiator, Chris, for me, and it's a differentiator that I see in a lot of leaders, is my approach has always been, look, I'm a lifetime learner. I look at any situation and I see that as an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to be curious. And I think that leaders today who have that in-house kind of inborn curiosity are the ones that are going to really find success because they go into any situation and it's an opportunity. Yeah, that's something we hear a lot on the show and obviously uh, completely agree with it. So I'm glad you mentioned that. One thing I had to ask you before we move on to the next topic is when people think about pharmaceuticals and then communications, they obviously think of, you know, try. I don't even know how to put it, you know, trying to put a good spin on something that might not always be good. I mean, the, a lot of times pharmaceutical companies, they don't lie. They're they're out for the profits. Did you ever run into that? Or what are, what are your thoughts around the profitability aspect of healthcare and pharmaceuticals? Yeah, it's a misunderstood kind of topic for everyone, right? So we look at it from the inside and we look at it from the outside and, and you know, we think we understand it and we kind of debate it. Um, I, I recognize it as a huge challenge. I mean, you know, healthcare right now, off the charts expensive, astronomical costs, um, the system definitely is not working right. When it comes to a pharmaceutical company, um, I definitely witnessed, I even had a, uh, a role of uh, head of HR for a while, I definitely witnessed what does it look like to fail repeatedly before you can actually get the right product to market and what are those enormous costs. And it's not just green dollars, right, what we spend, but the blue dollars, the amount of time and people that we invest in the process. You know, none of that is really visible to the outside world. All that's visible is the successful, you know, 12th version of the product that ultimately gets approved and gets out there. And, oh, my God, it's so expensive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the model for pharmaceuticals to be able to invest and fail so significantly for periods of time on an extended basis to ultimately get to that breakthrough drug that is able to make a difference is enormous. Right. So, you know, it's, it's sort of a, you know, invest, invest, invest and fail and then ultimately succeed. So, you know, I get that it's expensive on the successful side, but it was all of the attempts that weren't successful that also rang up the cost for that. Yep. You were clearly in the communications department for pharmaceuticals. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you just remember, I mean, like, I completely understand where you're coming from and, and I don't disagree with that. I think there's a lot of truth to it and a lot of amazing things have come out of pharmaceuticals. I think everybody recognizes that. But for a second, I found myself in thank you for smoking right there. <laughs> but well, let me also say this, though. Let me also say this in fairness. OK, so I ran a consumer uh, products healthcare company and then I moved over into a pharmaceutical part of the business. And I will tell you that, you know, was there an enormous amount of opportunity to cut costs and streamline things? I mean, the pharmaceutical companies of the 70s, 80s and 90s are not today's pharmaceutical. Companies, oh, yeah, so. sure. Sure. <laughs> so there really, I mean, there really has been a lot of cutting. And is there more? And, and is there an ability to do more? I mean, personally, for me, I think that there is, and I have done it. But, um, but I think, you know, when you're really talking about the big dollars, those that macroeconomically affect the cost of uh, pricing, I think a lot of it is the, uh, the failure rate of drugs is a lot higher than the uh, success rate. Sure. So, okay, so then I was reading, it looks like in 2007, is that when you departed from that arena and decided to work more in the coaching and consulting world? Yeah, I had been a veteran of the corporate world for about 20 years. Um, you know, like many corporate people probably, you know, worked 
the equivalent of what felt like 25 to 30 years in those 20 years. I was 42 years old, 41, 42 years old. And I realized, hey, this was fun. I've loved every job that I've had. But I feel like it's very narrow. I've been, you know, in this one, you know, health sector for a while. I'm really curious about how other industries work. And, again, you know, this lifetime learner appetite. I just decided I took a year off. And in that year off, I said, you know what, I'm going to recharge my batteries. I want to focus on my health, focus on my own learning, you know, just focus on recalibrating my life. I decided, look, I'm going to really try to identify what my passions are. And my passion has always been leadership. It's always been watching how leaders operate, um, observing the different styles of leadership. And uh, I decided, you know, I'm going to go and get certified as a coach. So I uh, I went to the Coach Training Institute, which I know you have an interest in as well. Yeah, I'm going through it right now. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> I mean, it is the most intense program. And, uh, you know, really, really loved the learning and the camaraderie and the ability to clean my instrument, I call it. You know, it's like <laughs> as a coach, you really have to be a clean instrument to be with people so you don't bring any of your baggage mm-hmm. onto them. So it's a great process to go through and, and help you to understand how to how to sort of be disciplined in that regard. Um, so, yeah, so I went and I became a certified coach. I decided that I wanted to open up my own business. I actually wrote my first book, which is called Open Up and Say Ah, in that year. And I started my business about seven years ago and haven't looked back. I mean, it's just been phenomenal. It was more that learning thing that got you into it. What brought you to coaching specifically? Because you could have gone a number of different ways. And then the leadership, this is the second part of that question, but the leadership aspect, I'm assuming, came from the fact that you were in so many leadership roles prior. Yeah, great question. I mean, first of all, the coaching piece, as an executive, you get to do coaching all the time. So, you know, I've had hundreds of employees work for me, you know, numbers of direct reports. And so I was coaching a lot in my own uh, career. But coaching for a living and coaching in your career are very different things. So, you know, what I was really passionate about was I really want to meet a variety of different people and want to help them get through the hurdles that they're working through. So I was really passionate about helping people reach their potential, be the best that they could be. Um, I definitely see, you know, greatness in people. And then I love the concept in coaching that we learn about, which is to hold that open space and allow people to grow into that. Um, one of the things that, you know, you'll, you'll be spending some time doing is you advance in your own coaching career, and I had to spend time doing, and, and one of the most difficult things about becoming a coach is trying to figure out what specifically do you want to focus on and where can your greatest value and leverage be because initially we think everyone is our client, right? We think we can help anyone and, you know, we can cover the gamut. We're well-trained as coaches, but what you really find is, the process of looking for the people who are looking for you and making that right connection is really, really important. So for me, leadership I always knew was going to be a focus, but I've tried to be really, really clear about further defining my practice to be leadership performance coaching. So for me, I'm really clear about if it doesn't get on the ground, if we're just having conversations, but the concepts or the behaviors in leadership don't start affecting other people, then my coaching role is not really having the effect. So I'm not just interested in changing your mindset. I'm interested in really making sure that those behaviors land on the ground. And it's really about performance and productivity in the workplace. We'll be right back to this interview after a quick word from our sponsors. Do you enjoy learning new things? Honestly, 
course you do, right? That's why you listen to Smart People Podcast. Well, another great way to do so is online learning, and there's not a better place to do that than lynda.com, especially because by going to lynda.com slash smart people, you can sign up for a free 10-day trial, learn as much as you want, no cost involved, no risk, but you don't have to take my word for it. You can take the word of millions of people around the world that are using lynda.com, which has over 3,000 courses on topics ranging from web development to visual design, marketing, Excel, WordPress, etc. Lynda.com is different from many other sites doing online education because for a small monthly fee of as little as $25, you get access to thousands of courses no matter what. So basically the cost of one course elsewhere. So why not give it a shot? They're giving Smart People Podcast listeners a 10-day trial for free by going to lynda.com slash smartpeople. Go check it out. See if there's something you want to learn and sign up. Lynda.com slash smart people. All right. So that leads us into a lot of things. I, I want to talk about the performance and productivity in the workplace. Uh, I Because I think as a listener, that would be the first thing that, okay, I could implement some of these things. So what do you find oftentimes are the reasons things don't happen, they don't get implemented? And then how do we get through those barriers? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, to me, when I talk about leadership in the corporate world, I basically say, hey, listen, there are two things we have to be great at as leaders. And this is where everything goes right and everything goes wrong. There are two currencies that we get to operate through. One is communication and one is relationships. Because if we don't have outstanding communication skills or we're not capable of building healthy relationships, we just won't be able to get work done. Because as leaders, we get work done through others. Right? So it's not about us doing and getting our fingerprints on everything. It's us being able to appropriately communicate and build relationships. With communication, unfortunately, it's usually an illusion. Someone looks like they're saying something. Someone looks like they're listening to something. And two people walk away with more misunderstandings than connections. So you know, there definitely is a lot to be said and learned and coached on in terms of communication. And mostly in the corporate world where most people don't get it right, Chris, is they don't have what I call veritas. You know, they don't have the courage to say what actually needs to be said. We're afraid of that. We don't have those courageous conversations. You know, we're not willing to be authentic. We're not willing to be vulnerable. So we just kind of sit there, we bite our tongue, and we walk away. And, we, you know, we'd rather preserve harmony in that moment than really deal with the issue. And that's one of the critical places that things go wrong in terms of performance. Yeah, and what? why is that? Why won't we have those conversations? I know that I tend to... Man, I hold those conversations back. I don't have them until it's eating at me so much that when it comes out, it uh, comes out like a freight train sometimes. Yeah, and I think some of it is, you know, it's, it's the discomfort of conflict is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, an, it's an uncomfortable thing. But I think what really holds people back and what I've learned in my coaching practice is the place where I can try to help make a difference. People often don't have the language. You know, they just don't have the words, the phrases, how do I get in there, how do I not offend someone, how do I frame it. And, you know, there is a whole language to leadership that really, once people start to understand, and, you know, I've tried to really outline that in Leadership Rigor, my new book, I mean, once you start to get what are some of the ways that you can make things sound and feel and, and you know, 
be really resonant with people, you become less afraid to have the conversations because you understand what you're trying to say, how you could possibly say it, and the impact that you're trying to have on people. So what would be some of those recommendations? I'm thinking about a conversation I literally had two hours ago on a conference call um, for, for my nonprofit. And I was in that position, you know, I, it was very delicate and I think it actually got handled pretty well, but I'm wondering, I wonder what I could have used, what, what tips Eric could have taught me that I could have put into this conversation. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the, one of the things that I think is, is always important in those conversations is, you know, aligning what I call our intentions and our impact. Right, so you know, Chris is playing that conversation kind of quickly in his head, or Erica's playing that conversation in her head, and what comes out may or may not be aligned with my intention. Right, came across too hard, came across too soft. So you know, one of the things that we always want to do in communication, especially in leadership roles, is you know, how do I want that person to feel at the end of this conversation? You know, do I do I want them to feel inspired? Do I want them to feel concerned about something? I mean, what is that emotional piece that I want to leave them with? And let me make sure that I set that communication up so that I can appropriately land that and I can have them walk away with the feeling that I'm trying to have them walk away with, you know, a sense of urgency, a sense of commitment, um, a sense of confidence, as opposed to just randomly kind of going into the conversation, delivering a bunch of messages in some kind of order, and the person walks away confused or, you know, overly confident or overly beat up. So mm. getting that intention and impact, really, really critical for us as leaders. You know, oftentimes I think about the fact that we've we've interviewed a couple of people on leadership and there's there's a lot out there, a lot of people helping leaders. And this this strays a little bit from what we were talking about, but I, it just came into my mind. Who do you define as a leader? Who are people that need to master these types of skills? All right. First of all, let me credit you in CTI land of blurting your intuition. <laughs> um, Thank but, you. You know, <laughs> my, you know, my belief in terms of leadership is everyone is a leader, right? So, you know, whether it's you leading your family, leading a team, leading yourself, helping to develop the, the leadership of your kids. I mean, how we show up and what it's like to be with us is a reflection of our leadership, which is kind of why I wrote leadership rigor in three sections. It's leading yourself, leading teams, and leading organizations. Because at the basic fundamental level, everyone can benefit from having emotional intelligence, right? You know, knowing about self-awareness and self-management and how to build relationships. Everyone can benefit from, you know, figuring out, you know, their intention and their impact. Um, everyone can benefit from learning about communication and relationships. So, you know, there are some, some basic fundamentals that I think we all can just benefit from as practicing leaders of our own lives. That escalates and changes pretty significantly as you move up the curve and you say, you know, I'm, I'm now responsible for leading a team of people. And as a team leader, I, I don't have to only deliver the work of the team through others. I have to develop the individuals and I have to develop the team. So now there's a, a whole series of expectations now that are on me before, you know, I was just a con an individual contributor. Now I have other people to look out for. And when you move that then to the organizational level, the complexity and the ambiguity and, uh, and the difficulty gets even more significantly important as now you're responsible for the livelihood and the oversight of a lot of people. Whether you're an entrepreneur or a large enterprise leader, a lot of people are depending upon your capabilities and skills. You know what just occurred to me is the fact that 
Okay, so I like that definition of a leader because there's so much written about it. And people who aren't maybe a CEO or even manager of a lot of people go, oh, well, everybody's concentrating on leaders. I even said to somebody the other day, if everybody's a leader, who's following them? You know, like whatever happened to just being a, a good contributor? Um, but I think leadership can take on so many different forms. And what that might cause is you're the same or a similar person now as maybe in five years. I mean, you grow, but much of your leadership skills, unless you work on them, will stay the same. Yet the group you need to lead, whether it be yourself, your family, then two employees, then 10, then 100, that changes so much. Does the leadership style and the skills you need to have, does that change along with it? Great question. So there's a lot in there, but let me make one comment because I think you just hit on something really, really key. First of all, we show up the same way everywhere, right? So that CEO goes home and, and has those same sort of characteristics and traits. They may control them a little bit differently in the office. They may be a little bit more better behavior, um, but we show up the same way everywhere. The other thing is we all have hard wiring. You know, we're born with some hard wiring, and I believe leadership can be learned, but fundamentally, all the real leadership skills that you need to impact lives, yours and others, can really be learned. So your question of, you know, what are the skills and what are the styles and do they change? I mean, there's a vast a, a variety of leadership skills and styles that are at our disposal. What we unfortunately find in most leaders as coaches is, hey, if you're a hammer, everything's a nail, right? So mm -hmm. I'm really comfortable with the directing style, so then I am going to the directing style more than anything, right? Mm -hmm. What we have to learn as leaders is our job is not to lean into the one style that's comfortable for us, but rather to be flexible and use the style that's necessary for the person that we're coaching and mm -hmm. the person that we're developing. It's our job to flex to them, not their job to flex to us. Wait, I have to st I have to stop you because I'm going to lose this thought. That I totally agree. And I think oftentimes when I'm working for someone, the the relationships that are the best is because I naturally vibe with them. Maybe not that they bent, but it was just a good pairing. Yep. For those leaders that have large organizations and they, they have direct impact on a lot of people where they have to go this extra step of really looking at the individual, that seems almost impossible, especially given they probably in today's you know economy have a number of other responsibilities. How do you do that as a leader? Well, the uh, I'm not going to let them off the hook based on your example of saying, hey, I got a lot of people I got to deal with because... <laughs> You know, that, that's too bad. I mean, as leaders, I mean, we have to be masters of communication and relationships. So, for example, it's not like there's 300 leadership styles that we're going to choose from, but there's six to ten. And, you know, there are different ways to approach different people. So with a couple of well-placed questions, Chris, I can get a handle on one particular person's style or preference and then use my toolbox to target and effectively communicate with them and build that relationship more that would be different than if I was dealing with another person. I'll just give you a perfect example. I mean, in the corporate world, we see this all the time. There are those people who are really very detail-oriented, really need to know the various steps and the different pieces of uh, work that they need to do. Some people are big-picture thinkers and, and get it more at the conceptual level. 
So we really need to listen for, you know, how do people come at information gathering and problem solving so that we're talking to them in the language that is best for them to understand. So, you know, if I'm a big picture person and you're a detailed person, I tell you, hey, you know, hey, Chris, I want you to do this project and here's what I want you to do. And you're there, hey, Erica, but really, specifically, what exactly do you want from me? You know, net it out for me, be specific. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I may say, all right, so let's map out some milestones, Chris. You know, let me, let me, let me say, you know, in the next couple of weeks, why don't you do a couple of these things? Let's meet again. Let's check up on this. So if I sense the need for you to have some of that detail and some of that specific mm-hmm. piece, I'll switch into a different style than someone who conceptually I think will be more comfortable and, and get it and take it on the run. And now it's time for our awesome sponsors who support Smart People Podcast. This week, we welcome back Igloo. Igloo is an intranet you'll actually like. It's a cloud platform that can help you do your best work. Share files, blog updates, coordinate calendars, and manage projects. It's easy to use and easy to configure, even for the most non-technical of users, like Chris. It's built using responsive design, which means that everything you can do at your desk, you can now do on the go on your cell phone. Whether you're a large enterprise stuck using SharePoint or a fast-growing business overwhelmed by apps, create an intranet that matches your brand's look and feel, simplifies how you work, and is accessible on your phone. Sign up now and try it for free at igloosoftware.com slash smartpeople. That's igloosoftware.com slash smartpeople. Yeah, I think right there one of the key things you pointed out is you said I'm not going to let them off the hook because there's, you know, six to 10 styles. And with a few questions, I can get a grasp on it. And the key word there is questions. As a leader, it's our job to ask questions as opposed to just give orders or answers or responses or duties or all the things that a lot of managers and a lot of leaders tend to do. It's totally true. And, you know, it's related to not only the ability to know that our job is to challenge and get people to do their best thinking. And by the way, that's not necessarily just agreeing with us and we don't have all the answers. But this is related to one of the models that I talk about in Leadership Breaker that I think, you know, is interesting in in this area. And that is, you know, our relationship with power. You know, when you go into any organization, you know, People are either very interested in their own position power, which is, hey, I'm the boss, so do it my way, and here's how I want it to be done. Um, Some people are very attracted to their expertise power. You know, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I have expertise in this area. But those leaders are most successful, and those leaders that really have the greatest impact are terrific influencers because they use their personal power. And their personal power is about connecting with people, you know, calling forth people, as you've learned in CTI and I has a, have as well, oh, yeah. being courageous with people, asking the courageous question, supporting people's risk-taking and initiatives, um, really being there to, um, to help provide um, uh, support and encouragement to new things that they're trying. That level of personal power creates a safe environment. It helps people to feel that we're believing in them. And then we get their best thinking. Then we get their creativity as opposed to stifling them and shutting them down because we're using position power or expertise power. Absolutely. Now, what I want to ask you next is about coaching in general. I, As we mentioned, I'm you know finishing up CTI, and so I'm pretty familiar with it. 
but especially with somebody with your experience and for those that have heard about it, I mean, coaching is really taking off. There's a lot out there. Companies are bringing them in. There's, there's a lot of research that shows how useful it is. Explain to us in your words a little bit what you feel you do for executives and for organizations as a coach. Sure. So, in, you know, in my, in my coaching practice, when I look at, you know, what is coaching all about, I look at it in terms of really accelerating the performance and the productivity of that executive. So, you know, what does that mean? We're going to learn and we're going to grow and we're going to develop and we're going to change our behaviors over time with more experience or, you know, with more exposure to, to different circumstances. But in the coaching world, one of the things that, you know, we're working with people to try to work uh, to overcome is barriers that they may have. So, you know, they may not think they're good at something or they may think something is difficult for them and helping them to work through what are those barriers. Um, they may have some baggage that stands in their way, so relationship baggage or, you know, things that they're carrying with them from other experiences that hold them back from being the best performer or more productive than, than they can be. And I'm trying to work with them as you're going to be working with people in your coaching practice to help people get through breakthroughs. You know, what are those entry points that can get them to another level and how do we help either support them with that or how do we give them a tool to use to get there or how do we give them an insight to have them change their mindset so that they can see a situation a little bit differently than the one that they're currently in. Sure. So for those listening, what are some things that when you go in, you, you tend to see some commonalities and people can look at in their own lives and maybe a, a tip or a trick or a tool that they can do to perhaps find those breakthroughs? I think it's pretty tough to break through them on your own, but it's also possible. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, you could you could try to break through on your own. Usually you have a blind spot, right? And where coaching really comes in is it kind of helps you to identify maybe that blind spot that you had and give it a name and give it a language. And, you know, one of the greatest things about what coaching helps with is we're pretty good at listening. And in the listening, both in what the person is saying and not saying, even when we just play that back for the person, they get an insight. So, you know, for example, what's a typical barrier you, you find in coaching executives? Um, you know, many of them have poor time management skills in their own view, right? And you say, okay, well, you know, what's, what's in the way of you having better time management skills? And, you know, some of them will tell you, well, you know, I tried to-do lists or I tried this method, I tried that method, and, and nothing really works for me. And, you know, some of us just have different hard wiring and different relationships with time. You know, some people are just very focused on hitting schedules and organizing their work and organizing their day. And some of us are a little bit more um, spontaneous, a little bit more go with the flow. So even just understanding and listening to people and, and helping them to identify, you know, what's some of their personality hardwiring and then what are some of the tools that can help them with their personality. So, for example, I'm a little bit more of a spontaneous girl, but I run a very busy coaching practice. So how can someone who is pretty spontaneous be so scheduled and regimented with all of my clients? You know, I mark my days as either coaching days or administration days. Um, I put all of my, uh, my calendar together for an entire year. So I know next November, I know what my coaching days are and I know what my workshop days are. I may not know which client is going to be in that day, but I use my calendar as a tool to allow me to still have freedom within the structure. 
But, you know, that's like one tip that, for example, you know, you can help people to understand what may be some options for how to think about time differently. Honestly, that that's a tip that people may or may not have heard. It's it's becoming fairly well known. Like you really need to set up some structure in your life. But I'll tell you, until recently, until I started to get really stressed out because I have three different huge projects going on, I couldn't figure it out because I didn't feel stressed on a daily basis, but eventually it caught up to me. And it was the fact that I wasn't scheduling time for one thing. So I could be working on project one, thinking about two and three, and then work on two, thinking about one and three, all day, every day. And eventually your brain is just going to say, no more. Yep. So yep. I think that the calendar is what I was getting at is I, I said, okay, I'm going to have my list at the beginning of the day and I'm going to shut down all emails or whatever that don't pertain to this one thing. And it's been a nice transition, I have to say. Well, you know, each of us has, and here's on the productivity side of things. This is an experiment I have many of my clients do. You know, we have a natural diurnal process during the day, right? So there are two peak times, Chris, for you during the day. One is a super peak time. One Hmm. is a lower peak time. Same thing for Erica. The critical thing is, what's your time period? So my critical time period for peak performance is between five and seven in the morning. Wow. That is my, yeah, I know. It's crazy. That's my peak. Yeah. That's my peak time for sleeping (laughs) hands down. But you know, for me, and here's the experiment that, you know, I would challenge you and, and your listeners to think about, you know, in that peak time period, and for me, it's five to seven for you, you know, let's say it's eight to 10 in the morning, you're going to find yourself at three times the productivity as you would at any other point in the day. So it's really incumbent upon us to really try to say, well, what is my peak time period? Because, you know, if I can preserve those two hours, I'm really going to get the benefit of almost a full day of productivity on some of that concentration side versus trying to struggle for me. If I tried to say, hey, between 7 and 9 p.m., I'm going to, like, take my, you know, my focus. I'm going to try to write some proposals. Mm -hmm. I'd probably get 50% of the productivity in each of those hours because that's just not my time period. So knowing your time period is another way, for example, to overcome whether it's a barrier or a baggage and get you to another level of breakthrough productivity. You know, it's so true, too. I know mine's from 10 a.m. to noon. Just I can cruise. And then I'll tell you the worst time of day is about 2 to 4. That's a struggle. And (laughs) I've always found that tough in the corporate world. Now I don't have to deal with it as much because I have a lot of flexibility built into what I do. But I always was like, guys, I don't want to be here. I'll do work at 7 at night. I'm pretty good then. But that was tough for me. Yeah, and and you have to protect the hours that are really critical for you and then, you know, do things that, you know, don't require as much concentration during those those other time periods. Of course, we'd both like to take a nap, but that's probably, you know, in the corporate world not as not as big an option. Well, could you tell some of the CEOs you work with that naps are beneficial? I'd really appreciate if if they started to do that. Hey, one of the things I am trying to help CEOs understand is, you know, making that conversion from butts in seats to performance and productivity, right? You know, right? Just being there. I mean, a lot of guys and and ladies are still, you know, very much in a mindset that says, you know, I want you there, you know, starting at this time and ending at this time. And my challenge to them is, look, at the end of the day, if it's about performance and productivity, if they sit at their desk for any one of a number of hours but don't really give you the output that you want, why does that matter, right? So we don't want that. And often what they're more afraid of, I think, and I think this is where coaching comes in, is at the executive level, we all want accountability. 
right? We want people to be accountable. We want people to deliver. But accountability is the output of two really important inputs. And I talk about this in Leadership Rigor as well. First and foremost, our job as a CEO or any leader of other people is we've got to be clear about our expectations. What are we really asking of people? You know, what does it look like, sound like, and feel like so that we can make that clear? And then as we give people those expectations, then we don't just go away and expect them to deliver. We have to coach them for performance. So coaching them for performance may mean getting back to what we were saying earlier, checking in on a couple of milestones, making sure that they have the resources, making sure that they have the capabilities and the confidence to progress through to deliver at that accountability level. Because if they don't deliver, it's usually our fault as a leader in some way, shape, or form. Mm. I'm, well, I'm glad you're out there telling them. Somebody needs to. These leaders, <laughs> these leaders who don't know what's going on. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, I appreciate it. And you mentioned your book a few times, Leadership Rigor, Breakthrough, Performance, and Productivity. Um, I was hoping you could give our listeners some some uh, you know places to find you. We will obviously link to the book on our website. But do you, are you writing? Are you out there? Yeah, I mean, I you know you can uh, you can check my website for uh, for workshops for uh, speaking events. My uh, website is Erica Peetler, one word E R I C A P E I T L E R at uh, ericapetler.com. So you can email me at erica at ericapetler.com or look on my website. Um, I am doing speaking events. I am doing workshops. So yes, and I'll be blogging and, uh, and getting more of the word out there on Leadership Rigor. Well, Erica, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it and recommend your book, Leadership Rigor, to all of our listeners and we'll link to it. And uh, best of luck on all this. Thanks, Chris. It was a pleasure being with you. All right. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Erica Peetler. Don't forget, you can pick up her book, Leadership Rigor, Breakthrough Performance and Productivity, Leading Yourself, Teams, and Organizations on Amazon and at your local bookstore. If you do decide to pick up Erica's book at Amazon, please use our Amazon affiliate link over at smartpeoplepodcast.com. You can also get to it with the convenient link, smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. If you'd like to reach Chris or I, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or shoot us a message on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you want to follow Chris and I personally on Twitter, you can follow us at John Rojas and at Chris Stemp. I know we normally don't plug our personal Twitter accounts on here, but I figured, hey, we like tweeting about some cool things out there. So if you want to follow us, see what we're saying, you can follow us there on Twitter. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a rating and review there. That greatly helps out the show, so we appreciate everybody that takes the time to do that. That's it for me. Hope you guys enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next week.